Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. So could you introduce yourself to the listeners, please, Catherine? Yes, absolutely. I'm a clinical and forensic psychologist in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I'm also an EMDR therapist and somatic experiencing practitioner and the founder of the Ottawa Centre for Resilience, which is a mental health centre for childhood trauma and dissociation, attachment, adoption and high conflict families in the Ottawa area. Wow. Busy. Highly Highly qualified, highly experienced um, professional. Love it. Yeah. Is there any personal? Is there any personal connection to the adoption, uh, the adoption world, or is it purely? Is it purely professional? Because um, sometimes my listeners like to know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd say it's it's a mixture, but it, it wasn't a personal experience that brought me into doing that work. I think my path was more through focusing on trauma and families. Um, and then that sort of connected me to working to kids involved in our child protection, child welfare system. Um, and some of who fortunately do go on to adoption. So I think that was sort of the path to yeah. doing more adoptive work. And um, when we had the conversation last, well, last month or so, I think it was, started this month, um, we were talking about this um, common challenge that parents have of, you know, and they've got a, an, an issue presenting with their child and they're thinking, is this adoption related mm-hmm. or isn't it? And, and, and you know, that was kind of our hopping off point for a for a for a, a for our conversation today. So, why why is that why is that important? Do you think? So I think I think when we were talking about it, I shared this, but I'll, I'll sort of go back into it. Is that I, at least in my work, I see people kind of right across the spectrum, where you have some people where. Um, that identity as being an adoptee or being an adoptive family or parents is very strong and very important. And and there's a lot of sense of recognition and belonging with that identity. And so when they're seeing issues come, when adoptive, those types of adoptive parents are seeing issues presenting in their adopted child, um, it's being seen from that perspective and lens. So there's a sense of feeling that they, they really want to work with mental health professionals who understand adoption and how it can impact families and children. And, and there sometimes could be an over, over tendency to feel that everything is, is adoption connected. So I, I would say that would be one end of the spectrum. Um, and as a mental health professional who has a, a professional identity is working with that community, I see a, that would definitely be a good chunk of folks that come to my office. But I see people right, you know, on the other end of the spectrum where adopt, they don't even consider adoption and, and there's a thought that that would never be connected to anything. Um, and they won't even disclose it so much so because they, they don't think it's connected. So 
I might not discover until, you know, six months down the road in working with a kid and a family that there's an adoption history because nobody thought to mention it or that it would be relevant. Um, I would probably say, you know, like with most good things in life, the I think maybe the ideal would be to find some kind of a balanced middle ground um, where we're open to, could this be adoption related in part or a little bit or all, and or does it have to be, or is it just normal development or is it something else? And that like, they're all possibilities, right? And, and that it depends. Yeah, and, and why is it important to, to, to pinpoint it I mean, it's just, as, as I, I'm asking this question, I'm thinking, is this a slightly silly question to ask? But somebody told me uh, a while ago, there's no such thing as silly, silly question. Right. <laughs> um, why is it important to know whether this is an adoption issue or a child issue? That's a good question. Um, so I think for myself as a mental health practitioner, it's helpful to know because it informs the work I'm going to do and what kind of, how I'm going to help the clients understand what's going on. And a lot of what we are doing for clients is supporting them to organize and make sense of their story and their experience. Um, and, and, you know, we don't get it right, right away. And so often you're trying on different hats and like, is this a good fit or is this a good fit? And so it's helpful to be able to include the adoption piece and and even just for exploration like where does that fit for you in all of this i think it's helpful for a family to know that in terms of i guess in part seeking services and feeling like they're going to find someone you know who would be able to work with them in that way or or that who knows that and knows how to understand you know adoption specific issues so that if that is part of the picture they'll recognize them because if you work with someone who doesn't have that lens that they, they could they'll miss it because they don't know what to look for yeah. so clearly uh, as a, as a therapist the whole the, the whole therapy thing is a as an is an experience it, it it's an experiential thing it, it's to do with mm, you you, yeah. you you and your you and your client or you and your clients in a room going through the process you know you've talked about emdr and um and uh, somatic therapy so there's kind of a there's a limit because we're we're just two people having a chat on a on a, on a podcast yeah. Uh, and we're trying to share educational, useful content with adoptive parents listening. So yeah. given that this isn't a therapy session, it's an educational yeah. session. Yeah. What would be the most useful things that you could share with, with adoptive parents listening in terms of um, helping their kids thrive? Well, that's a pretty huge question. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, huh. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, I don't think that I would say you would, it's different than what you would say for any parents in terms of wanting to, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all good parenting and, and relationships. So, I mean, when we talk about parenting today, you know, I think our thinking has come, come a ways about, you know, it, it 
of course, every generation, you know, it shifts and sometimes we go a little more rigid and a little more flexible and, you know, every generation thinks the next generation's doing it all wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I'd like to think that we, we continue to move generally forward, that we get sort of a little more reflective and intelligent about what we know about parenting. Um, so I think what we know these days is that you really need to have a balance between being warm and nurturing and engaging with your children and being structured and challenging them and, you know, but challenge and that you really need to be able to try to do all of those components um, because you, if you have some and not others, you can see how that could, you know, if, if you're very structured and challenging with a child, but there's no nurture, um, that can veer towards being, you know, mean and controlling and, and that's not good. But if you're only about nurture and warmth as much lovely as that is, there, there's, it also creates problems, right, with over permissiveness. So I think in parenting, I, in a perfect world, um, I like the expression and I don't, I can't remember where this comes from, but the idea of being like that your children would say that you were tough, but fair and loving, if that makes sense. Um, and the other thing I'm going to say right away, because as soon as I start talking about parenting, I always worry that everyone's feeling like crap listening because parenting's so hard and you feel like, oh, that's nice, but who can do that all the time? So the good news is you really don't have to be able to strike that balance and be able to do all those four components really well all the time. So one thing that's really clear and unequivocal in parenting research is that you just need to be good enough. And what that actually means is 30% of the time, like 30% of the time you get it, you're attuned to your child, you receive them, you meet their needs. And if you miss the boat a little bit, the other 70% of the time, your kid's gonna be just fine. Yeah. So. 30%. I feel like most of us can hit 30%. So yeah. it's like, let yourself off the hook. You, you lose your patience. You, you're not in the mood for a cuddle because you've had a long day, whatever. Just put that in your 70% bucket and just move on. You know, like you have all day to hit 30% and like that suddenly feels a little more manageable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're wondering, I think I might be at 29% rather than 30%. <laughs> that's, another clue well. that, that, that's another clue that you're thinking might be a bit off. Um, I had, a, had an email over the, um, over the weekend uh, about from a prospective adoptive parent. Okay? And she was um, very, she, she's, she's gone into an, a, an, a, a support group on, on Facebook. Um, and and being trauma bombed mm. in so, terms of what everyone else was talking about yeah so ev everybody everybody was uh yeah. you know um some, somebody i was talking to a couple of weeks ago talked about trauma dumping which is um sure. uh I, I thought that was a great i thought that was a great phrase you know, people go onto Facebook, into Facebook groups to dump, to dump that, dump and share their trauma, and, and somehow 
Yeah, that seems to definitely, be a, a, definitely there. There are groups like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this, but this prospective uh, adoptive mum had um, had been trauma trauma bombed, which is slightly different. So she'd gone in asking for help or hoping for right. encouragement, and all she'd been given was um, real bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Oh and, yeah, I and, I know. And, and you know that group probably is is really has its place for those people who are in a bad place and they need that, right? They need to be able to talk to each other. Um, but for, it wasn't the right group for her, right? They were in a different life stage than she was. But it, it, it said that, she said that she'd felt um, depressed yeah. by what happened. And, yeah. and, and this, this got me thinking, well, what if, what if, this is happening to uh, adoptive parents because she's just she's at this stage she's a prospective yes. parent. What if um, the trauma, the trauma stories, you know? Because uh, I, I, I sometimes, you know, I, I see we, we talk a lot about trauma. There's a lot of talk about trauma. What yes. about all the the stories of trauma? Are actually taking adoptive parents down. They're make, that's making them depressed. And you know, if you're coming from it, you're not going to be in the best place to parent if you're coming from that place. Eh? So I think it depends what your experience is and where you are in your adoptive journey, right? So it depends on you know if you're if you're parenting traumatized kids with traumatized nervous systems it it is it can be traumatizing to you and 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 so it's really helpful and you often I what I hear a lot from adoptive parents in those positions who've been struggling kind of they feel in in secret and in silence for years is they don't feel believed they feel ashamed um, and so they really need a place, a peer group, not with professionals, you know, they can find professionals to talk to, but other parents who have similar experiences where they feel validated, right, where they can talk about the crazy stuff happening in their home and how they're doing. So I think those groups are important for people, for certain people, and they need them. Um, but, you know, when you're a prospective parent, that's, you know, that's like, they're in totally different places in their adoptive journey, right? So like, I wouldn't want to take, what I guess what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't want to take away that group for those people who are finding it helpful, right? I think it's important for them, but it wasn't helpful for her, and which makes a lot of sense. Um, I think there are other ways we can talk about that. I do think that we don't, and, and, you know, it's hard to generalize because, practices and in preparing parents to adopt are, are highly variable regionally and and so forth right so it's hard for me to say what's happening where um i can say in my own experience working with parents a lot of the parents i work with um don't feel like they were properly prepared for what it would be like like really what it would be like day in day out over a lifetime to parent a traumatized child so if you're listening and you don't think you were prepared then you're not uh, you are Hello. you are not 
alone. No. You are. And I think to some extent, there's a, you can't really prepare, like, because it's kind of an intellectual exercise before you really do it, right? Yeah. Like we can talk and talk and talk about it. And I can tell you, listen, this is what it's like, or she could, you know, you can go and listen to other people's stories and you think you kind of get it and you'll kind of, you know, but it's a bit in a sense, like reading a novel or watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, you dip your toe in and you're like, oh, I think I, but I can kind of see what that's like but I still have access to all my resilience and resources psychologically that I can kind of come back together. But the reality of living that 24 seven over years and years and years, like, I don't know, I don't know that there's anything else we can do to really convey to someone what that would be like before you yeah. do it. And, and I guess the question for me is um, like, is, is, um, is dwelling on feeling unprepared, is that really going to help us move forward? You know, um, with, it's, right. not, and it's not really. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, because, you know, some people come to adoption having been biological parents first, and some people just um, adopt, become parents through adoption only. And to those parents, I would like to say, you never feel prepared to be a parent, like biological adoptive, whatever. So people who have children biologically are scared shitless. <laughs> like you never are like, okay, like I'm a hundred percent ready for this. I know what this is going to be. And so I just want to reassure people who, whose journey to parenthood is through adoption, because I find often those parents really second guess themselves a lot and think, well, maybe they wouldn't this wouldn't have happened or they wouldn't have felt like this, or they would have been better parents if it was through, you know, a biological route. Um, it's not true. Everybody feels unprepared to be a parent and scared and everyone feels like a bad parent along the way. And everyone's kid says, you're not a good parent. I hate you at some point along the way. And it doesn't mean you're not the right person to parent that child yeah yeah the the thing that um popped into it's this it's this expectations and surprises and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. the thing that popped into my head you know uh, so i'm kind of i'm I'm kind of mentoring a guy who's setting up his um, a a business at the moment and he was going well i you know i so he's employed um and um uh, and so he's used to that routine. He's been employed, I don't know, seven years or something. Uh, and he said, well, I, you know, I, uh, I, it, it's, it, you know, one business, one minute it's like this and the next minute it's like that. I said, yeah, that, yeah. that's business. <laughs> it's- yeah. So, so in one minute I'm totally overwhelmed. Uh, you know, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. Uh, you know, like I, I, one minute I'm feeling fine and it's all going great. Next, it's the end of the world. And I, I said, well, yeah, that's what running your own business is like. You, you don't have that. You don't have that. Um, you know, he, he's a, he, he works in a, a swimming pool, right? So he, he, he has occasionally busy times at the swimming pool. And I guess they've had COVID to deal with and da, 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 da. But it, 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 it he 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 can he's he's more able to switch off outside of that. You know the ups and downs are going to be low. Yes, 
no running I, well i can relate as a as a business owner. yeah running your own business is is unpredictable <laughs> you know you just and and you it's a great choice of analogy because you're right it is a lot like parenting where you're like i've got it like i just like I've just figured it out. We're good. Everything's running. It's smooth. We've got, it. and then something happens, right? Well, parenting's like that, whether it's through adoption or not, right? Where it's like, you just figure out your kids, whatever eatings, you know, when they're little, it's like, you just figure out a routine that seems to work with naps and sleeping and eating and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, yes. And then there's a little developmental milestone, a few new neurons connect for the kid and it's all, it's all, you have to start all over again. <laughs> And then again, and then again. <laughs> and then again. And the other thing that I'm spotting in my own little story here is that I, I do sometimes talk about the fact that my business degree was a completely waste of time. <laughs> like it didn't prepare you for that, right? It, like it didn't prepare me for it. Yeah. Um, that it was, and, and, but, you know, like economic and social history, what use is that to, you know, um, uh, to, to run a business? Uh, so, uh, but, but, do I, I'm just thinking, because I said earlier on, um, talking about how the fact that we weren't prepared is a waste of time. And then I've realized that I actually do that. I, I, I sometimes <laughs> do that with the business. Yeah. So I sure. Think, so. Uh, don't beat yourself up if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you are uh, beating yourself up for not having prepared. And because I think like, like business, becoming a parent like you can only prepare so much right at some point you just have to jump you just have to go for it and and start swimming the best you can uh yeah what's to say you can't learn to ride a, a bicycle on a seminar no <laughs> no <laughs> it is an on the job learning job yeah yeah and and it's a marathon like like it it, it's it's a lifelong marathon like once you're a parent you're a parent for life and that doesn't it'll change all but it'll never stop so do you do you see um parents getting very down about their kids and their and and the trauma and their their beating themselves up for their lack of ability to put this stuff right. Do, do you see that a lot? I, I definitely see it. I don't know about a lot. It's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely common. I mean, I think it's important to note that I see people who aren't doing well, right? That That's generally why they'll come to see me. So I can't say how representative that is of the adopt adoption community because i think the people who are doing well aren't coming into my office right or, or listening to this podcast maybe perhaps right they're just living their lives so <laughs> which is great yeah um yes i think sometimes one we adoption and practices around adoption have changed a lot in the last 20 to 30 years um you know they've moved away from the idea of closed adoptions quite a bit. And there's a lot more openness these days in adoptions. So parents are not necessarily coming in as blind as they used to be to the history of the children that are becoming part of their family. Uh, so I think that that's helpful um, to not be totally blindsided. 
uh, I think sometimes where we're still seeing that a, more so is with international adoptions where children are being adopted from other countries with different practices that aren't always maybe super transparent. Um, or that it's not really always clear, like that people aren't really talking to parents about what does it mean to adopt an older child who's lived in an orphanage and in an institution up until now and what impact might that have and what might that look like? Yeah, lots of more layers of complexity. It, it's a lot of layers, yeah. Um, and even a good, in, you know, and I mean, there's a whole range of, you know, institution, what, what does that mean, right? Having been in an institution. Yeah, because I was, was it remain? I, there is a country that was moving to decommission and get rid of all of them. I want. I feel like it was Romania after all that stuff that happened. Yeah, a while back. I can't remember though. Yeah. So, um, what what would you say to a, a parent who is um, who is struggling at this point? Who's child's struggling and and that that struggle from the child is causing the parent to struggle more and this trauma seems to be getting this trauma hole seems to be getting darker and darker what would, yeah. what would you say to them so i mean i think a few things um i mean you have to find support for yourself um, and that can be that can be a lot of different things for some people that could be having, you know, having a therapist who understands these issues that you can you can speak with um, both about how to parent your child, but also about just what, you know, the secondary trauma that you're experiencing and what it's like for you and and all the all the conflicting emotions that can come with that. Um, it can bring up a lot of grief and, and loss around what you thought it was going to be like to be a parent when you were waiting to become a parent and, and then the, how different sometimes the reality ends up being. Um, you know, you had mentioned group, like I think there's a lot of value for some people in peer support groups, but not they're not for everyone, right? Um, and there's a lot of different ones. So sometimes you, you need to shop around a bit and find an, a peer community that, you know, is a fit and speaks to you. And now with, you know, so many things being virtual and online, the nice thing is it's a lot easier to do that, to access online communities through social media and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and finding, I think, a good mental health practitioner who who can, you know, help your child, help your family. Um, there's different approaches that are helpful. Yeah. Um, How, what, 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 um, what advice would you give to, you, you know, you've talked about shopping around for peer yeah. support groups. Um, I, I, a while ago was shopping around for therapists and end up, ended up with what I thought was the, I mean, a local therapist to me, you know, um, and, and the ones around here were a very weird, a, a weird bunch. Um, so, um, what 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 advice would you what advice would you give in terms of 
how a, a parent can find the right the right therapist for them or the right mental health practitioner for for that or therapist for the kid what what what's 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 useful what are maybe some useful questions that should ask some useful considerations what other than just gut other than just going for a gut feel and whether they seem like a nice person or not yeah and not to diminish that that's important too that i think it's yeah. it's really important that you feel you have a, a warm genuine comfortable connection with someone you're going to work with um because we do know that the therapeutic alliance and and the strength of the therapeutic alliance so that's the relationship between the clients and the therapist is responsible for at least 50% of, of the change that happens in therapy if not more the the research kind of as as the research in that area continues to happen that that number seems to keep going up and up um, interestingly so so that's important but i also think that there are some other things that are important um, so i would want to ask question i would ask questions about what's their experience in working in the area of adoption and you know have and and i might get depending on how picky you want to be or important i might get really specific because you might ask someone oh do you have experience in adoption and they go oh yes well what does that mean i might just ask them like how how frequently do you treat members of an adoption constellation right and who do you treat and i mean is that a regular part of your practice do you, is that a always a part of your caseload or have you seen one or two throughout your career because there there's a difference right um and i think you would probably you would want someone who isn't who hasn't maybe seen some people where adoption is an issue by accident because it's kind of come in versus someone who's actually got some real understanding in that area um i would also ask them about trauma and attachment because those come those are an important consideration as well and i would ask what approaches they use and and why right like actually ask them to name to see if they're trained in any evidence-based trauma and attachment approaches and some of the ones we know in particular that can be really helpful with adoption if you're dealing with you know children um is theraplay right for example, um, not that everyone has to be trained that, but like that's that's a well-established, well-researched approach, and we know it can be really helpful. So, you know, I think you want to have a little bit of research, a little sheet where you've got, you know, I want the person I'm going to work with to have a clue where we're going here, right? And, and know something about it. You know, do they know about the seven core issues in adoption? Like some kind of key terms. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that having a, a question, having some questions ready, would be uh, would would, yes. be really, would be really useful. So you might even Google. You might even Google questions to ask an adoption therapist or something like that, because you might, you know, like you, you we're talking here now, but um, it it might just be a um it might prompt you some you know so yeah i mean i'm giving some general there. ideas but then also there might be ones that are particular then there might be particular issues that are important to you that you want to put in also what you can look for so i know for example here in ontario um we have a provincial 
Adoption Council. We have the Ontario Adoption Council, and they maintain a list of mental health practitioners who are who have been trained. They offer a training, for example, in working with the, with these families, and so they maintain a list of adoption um, aware, adoption trained practitioners. So I don't know if lists like that exist in other areas, but that's something to look for. Um, and if you are part of a peer community, you know, at, word of mouth is, is brilliant, right? It, it's often the most useful, I find. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to the warm and genuine relationship bit, because, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You, you, were, you were right to pull, pull me up on that. Um, I, actually, that's what I found was, was um, really weird with all the people that I spoke to, the therapists that I spoke to around here. In fact, that I felt that they were very closed. They were, mm. they were open. They, oh, well, it's not. Um, so I, I, I asked them, so what will our process look like? Mm -hmm. And they couldn't answer that question. Well, if we work together, what will our process look like? And they couldn't answer that question. Well, that's concerning. Yeah, it's, it mean, is. I think you want someone who, not maybe someone who can answer all your questions, but someone who is not defensive, someone you can have a dialogue with, right? Um, yeah, and, and another another woman in particular said, "Well, it, it, it's not appropriate for me to. I'm involved in, in adoption, but it's not appropriate for me to say." And I thought <laughs> that was this is a bit of a weird one. You're expecting me to be open with you, and you're not going to be prepared to open with, with me. And then I another one. I said, "Well, you know, can you give me some examples of people that you've worked with and and the outcomes that you've had?" And said, well, it wouldn't be appropriate client confidentiality. And I just thought, I'm not asking you to name them, give me their email. Yeah, address. no, you can speak in general know, terms, sure. You know, but I, 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 each time I asked the question, she was batting it back. And I, I felt, I, I felt, I, I, I well, I. I well, mean, that was obviously family, not a good fit for you. It, right? it, it, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a very polite way of putting it. Thank you. <laughs> so um, you, so you should not talk yourself into seeing people that aren't a good fit for you, even if they're highly recommended or very well qualified. Like I'm not the right therapist for everyone. And, and I shouldn't be, I mean, cause what therapy is really about is relationship. Right. And so we're going to, we're going to be a better fit for different people. Yeah. And that's super important. Yeah. So uh, I love the idea of, um, getting, uh, some peer recommendations or some approved, you know, start, start with a list, Rather than Google, start with a, a you know a, a, a list that's that where uh, people have already done some of the work for you in terms of uh, accredited, approved. Use your use your networks. Have have some questions, and the thing that's popping into my head is oh, as soon as I think of adding the questions, I, my temptation would be oh, this would be so much easier if it was done on an email. Why I can I can find these people out. I can ping, ping these things. That that's not going to give you the that's not going to give you the um, the warmth of uh, and the follow up of response. Um, sure, to, I mean maybe if you're really trying to you know if you're starting with a big list, you might start with an email to wean down to a shorter list and then you want to make the in-person contacts yeah. um you know in our center we always do we do free you know 20 30 minute in we call them intake or consult calls to anyone looking for services so that 
we can determine what they're looking for and if that's something we have to offer or if they do better going somewhere else. And I think that most people do that. Um, and I think it's okay to know what's important to you. And that might be idiosyncratic and that's okay, right? But like, you know, sometimes getting a young, not very experienced therapist that is really warm and open and curious and is a good personality fit for you will be a better choice than getting the seasoned, you know, therapist of 40 years. Yeah. So because so much is about the safety and connection in the relationship. Yeah. So what does the process look like or how does the process differ if we're talking about getting a therapist for our, for our child? I don't think it differs too much, but of course there's going to be, I guess there's going to be the added element of the fit between the child and the therapist. And I mean, really parents should have, in a perfect world, parents will have some involvement in, in that work. And so it, so now you've got to find a fit between, you know, if you're a two-parent family and a child, then it's like you've got to find someone who who can fit for all of you, right? Yeah. And and do that and maintain the balance between, you know, supporting different multiple people in a family unit. Yeah. How do you on a on a broader question, how do you see this? How, how do you see that I mean, how do you see this? kind of um, working working with the child, working with the parent, working with the family, empowering the empowering the parent to work with the child. What like there's these are very big issues. I don't know. Uh-huh. Help 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 um help the parent navigate that because like what would what should the parents expect in terms of how that will look? Or... Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm aware. You know, some people say, well, um, actually, you know, you're the uh, you're with the child far more than the therapist. So really, it should be about you and 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 right how you are. You know, there's everybody. Every, other than saying everybody's got to find the, the right mix for each other, what what are some of the issues that you see playing out in in these, like child, yeah, child only, okay. parents only, family, <laughs> uh, parent, you know, like. So my my rule is not to have a rule. <laughs> Good. In that, and and I would kind of warn people to be to question therapists who. Are, uh, who will only work in one way, right? So I think people who say, well, I always, if the child is under a certain age, I'm only gonna see the parents or I'm only gonna see you as a family unit or I'm never gonna see, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of permutations. Um, in my opinion, a good therapist is going to look at the whole family system, look at the reasons you're coming in now, what's most important. And then also needs to take into consideration how am I most likely as a therapist to be successful in supporting this family and helping them move? So for instance, you know, I might have a family with, let's say a teenage child who's 
really struggling and could really benefit from therapy. And everyone can see that that child, teenage child would benefit from therapy, but they're not interested or they're going to be a really long-term project to engage and move. But in the meantime, you've got parents who are available and interested. And so, you know, I could move that, I might be able to shift that family system faster and more effectively if I can work with the parents where I don't have all those roadblocks and defensiveness, I can work with them to then do some things differently at home in their relationship with their child. And maybe that's going to be more helpful um, not because it's the I'm saying the parents are the issue. So like part of my assessment is what's going on in this family and where, where's my window in also though. Right. Um, sometimes it's really developmentally appropriate for a teenage child to have private therapy that the parents aren't super involved in. And, and that might be, you know, what's indicated. So, I mean, and I could go on, you can see there can be kind of almost infinite permutations, but I guess the point is that I think that a good um, clinician is going to do an, an assessment of each case that comes in, what are the needs, and where, where can the work be done, and, and then suggest that, like sort of reflect that back what, to people coming in. Sometimes you might think the parents really need the work, but you know they're not going to do it. And so you'll take the kid because at least the kid has a safe place to come. Yeah. Do, um, to what extent are, are parents uh, open um, and, and, and honest with you in this early stages, which is clearly, you know, their openness and honesty is going to, is clearly going to be important. You know, whether they're talking to you or they're, they're talking to somebody here in the UK or in the US or, you know, wherever. Sure. Um, I, 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 the, the, the brief that they give you, their uh -huh. openness is uh, their openness when they're talking to a prospective uh, therapist or support is going to be key to how good the, um, you know, the solution and uh, suggested approach that you come up with and the building the relationship of the, of the, uh, of as you go forward, uh, yeah. how, uh, you know, how open are, parents at this stage in in your opinion um so openness to open to sharing information or open to hearing suggestions for for intervention um, i would say uh probably do the open sorry i'm not asking the question very well uh, no yeah. that's okay the so what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that you, at the start of the conversation, you talked about people being on the spectrum where they, mm -hmm. they are, you know, they're, it, it, they're, they're closed down or they're, they're blaming everything on adoption or they're completely blind to the fact that adoption is an issue. Right. And, right. and, and, and clearly nobody's at that. Most of the people Most are in the middle. Most people side. are somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So um, my question really is uh, how, how open about their situation are adoptive parents that come to you seeking a solution are, are, are they uh, are, are they open enough are, are they most of them sufficiently open enough for you to come up with a recommendation of the plan or you know does it depend what what are some of the things that may sure. yeah what are, what are the some what are, what are some of the areas that the parents may 
be slightly off with in terms of yeah. getting the best out of their therapist? I think as far as like sort of general um, disclosure of information and the story and why they're coming, I, I find most, the far majority of people are quite open. Um, and, you know, the way that people tell you that story tells gives you a lot of information because it's their understanding of what's not working in their family. Um, I think where I see less openness is or can be around who has work to do and where does the change need to happen. Um, and often, you know, to be fair, you know, people are often coming at a point where they're they're pretty exhausted and burnt out and um they've it's not their first time they've tried to find help or talk to someone or tried something so i i it's not unusual that i'll have parents say you know we've done enough like we've had so much and so much work so much intervention focused at us like now it's his turn or her turn like now it's time for our kid to go to therapy and do their work um so i that gives you a lot of information about what's not working in that family right and where they're at and that parents are really burning out and feeling like you know it's the child that's the issue and the child needs to do the work um i don't know if i'm answering your question yeah so I, I would say it's unusual. It, that is a more common, it's, I would say a more common, most one of the most common kind of closed presentations or less open ones would be that where it's like the child's the issue, here's the child, fix the child. And we don't wanna be involved because it's the child that needs to, to change who they are or, or change their behavior. Yeah. Um, and I would say, even if all, you're working with adults, that that's never like that, like none of us live in a bubble, right? We're all in systems and relationships and that. Yeah. It, yeah. So I, I was just thinking, uh, as this is the podcast might know, might know, um, I, I, I've, me and my wife haven't got any kids, right? So um, uh, I find myself when I'm in the parenting space when we get into parenting kind of things I think yeah. I don't want to go anywhere near that um but I also <laughs> I often uh, because I'm not experienced to do that um I'll, I'll, uh, but I often go to think about my analogies so if I was yeah. to say if I were to say that about my wife right sure. <laughs> if, if I were to go to a therapist get help. Say, she's not okay yeah if I were to, to to speak to a therapist yeah and say yeah uh, thank you for all your help um I've tried lots of different people but really it's my wife that needs to see the therapist yeah. then yeah. i could see i can't really see that going very far that conversation <laughs> i would say that i was in severe lack of um uh yeah i, sure. I wasn't and in a very self-aware place yeah and couples therapists will tell you i'm sure have lots of stories about people showing up like that all the time um I think our history in psychology is, is sort of this individual treatment model. And, and I think with, in particular with children and families, I, I really don't, I think it's pretty limited. I, I think, you know, kids live in schools and communities and families and it, like there's so many things, systems and, and levels of, of life intersecting there, right? Yeah. Um, 
that, you know, as a, as an office-based private practitioner where I can have this one kid come into my office once a week, maybe like how much am I influencing those different spheres of existence? And is that really going to create meaningful change? Right? Yeah. Yes. So I like the idea. I like the, um, the thing that you said about my rule is I don't have rules. I thought that was really. I try not to. I try yeah. to treat each family as yeah, and as they come. That's that's what we want to be done. We want to we want to be treated as individuals or individual families or you know as as family groups. I'm sure. Yeah, and I think that's part of the craft of what we do as clinicians is that we we know the science and we know the sort of the general theories and what's helpful, but then we tailor it to what's in front of us, right? And to what people are coming in for, like I could look at your family coming in and I can have a brilliant conceptualization of what's going on and what they need, but it's not aligned with what they're seeing and what they want to work on. And then what, right? So there, you know, there's some great research on therapy outcomes that has found that, so relationship the therapeutic relationship and if the client feels like you are working on the goals they want to be working on that they're coming in and telling you they want to work on is what leads to some of the best outcomes right yeah so because how would that feel to keep coming and saying dr horvath i really want to figure out how to get whatever johnny to eat his breakfast and get on the school bus on time and i keep saying Oh, sure. That's nice. Let's talk about family vacation. I don't know. I'm trying to, but you know, like, it's like this person isn't listening to me. Right. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a salesperson trying to sell us a, um, a four by four when we want to coupe. Um, it's not going to yeah, work. Is exactly. It? Um, that's interesting. Cause, uh, I did a lot of work in, in schools and it, it wasn't, uh, Clearly, it was it was it wasn't therapy. It was group fun activity sessions helping helping mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. So I start I, where I was coming from in the first in, in the first few um, sessions that I did in, in schools. It was about helping the kids be happy. But then I cottoned on fairly quickly because of something that one of the kids said to me. So they said, "Well, yeah, but how do, I wanted to do this. How do I do that?" And then I shifted my whole approach after maybe three sessions. So my starting point was asking the kids what they wanted what was their dream you know so they wanted to mm-hmm. be a be a nurse be a footballer uh pass the piano exam get into the school rugby team you know mm-hmm. they had a goal and then the rest of the session the rest of the workshop was based on helping helping them make their goal a reality yeah, because then you have buy-in, and then they're motivated, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, and that's why I brought that that one up because that's how I did it in that in in, in that session. So, uh, what sort of um, that that buy-in stuff? How do you do that with kids? <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of the art, right? Like, I mean, you have to be you have to be responsive. People have to feel like you see them, you get them, and that you care about the same things they care about, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and what then, about the parent getting buy-in from, the parent getting buy-in from the kid to go to therapy? 
Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it really depends. Sometimes you do have kids who are all you have to say is like, would you like to have someone you can go and talk to about anything you want? And it's private. And she's a nice lady and she's got some cool stuff in her office. And some kids are like, oh, okay. Right. Or they'll try it once. And then once they meet you and see, they're sort of like, oh, whereas you have others that, you know, I mean, I see court mandated, I I treat young offenders. So I see kids who definitely don't want to see me. Um, And it's like, you have to meet them where they're at and you have to respect that. And I'll just say, well, it seems like you're stuck with me. (laughs) Like that sucks. Um, so we can sit here in silence for the next 10 sessions. That'll be pretty boring for both of us. Or maybe we can find something to do with our time. You know, it's our time. We can do what we want with it. But, you know, like since we're stuck with each other, let's see if we can find something that's interesting to you to do with that time. As you said, um, all out, all out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's lots of other tricks. You know, you listen to music and do all kinds of things with the kids but it's all the skill of relation it's all about relationship building right that's been fascinating Catherine um and uh, we we didn't know where it was going to go but I think what yeah. we've, what we've uh, what we've set out is hopefully some very useful information on um on uh on on the therapist search and, uh, yeah, I think as, as like a closing comment, I would just say I would sort of encourage parents to find their confidence um, to be assertive, uh, to shop around and find like that you do know yourself, you know, your family, you know, your kids, you know what you need and what's a good fit and that it like to to go for that and not to settle like some of the examples and stories you shared about trying to find different therapists and like, well, this one doesn't, I don't feel very good with this one. And, but sometimes you just feel like, oh, but I was told they were, you know, the best and, and everyone else has a wait list. So maybe I should just try this person. Um, I think sort of my parting, my closing comment would be fit. Fit is really important and, and it's worthwhile to hold out for that. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for, for your, for your time and i'm obviously going to put links in the show notes to um to your your website so and your social so people can get in get in, in, in touch with you do you do any uh work on zoom or is it all in person well yeah i do i mean covid has dramatically changed the amount of virtual work we're doing i'm definitely where we work the limiting factors that we're only licensed to provide services to people who are within the jurisdiction we're licensed. So that means within Ontario for us. Okay. Yeah. Jolly good. Um, thank you very much for your, your time. It's been, it's been a great chat. Yeah. Thank you for the chat.